Hey, happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to the I-5 Corridor podcast. Tyson Alger here without, for the moment, Aiden Schneider. He was up at the Timber Sounders game last night, uh, said it was a great game. Timbers went 1-2-0, uh, just a big, important win for them, getting back into the playoff picture, and more importantly, just avenging that 6-2 defeat that uh, the Sounders put on them earlier this month. So I'm sure we'll get into more... We'll get more into that at some point later this month uh, as, as the, the playoffs kind of approach for uh, the MLS season. But it's the first week of the college football season. Oregon's named the starting quarterback. Anthony Brown's going to be slinging it for the Ducks. Not that that should be a surprise to anybody. He's a six-year senior, the front runner. And, and when you have three other guys on the roster that have yet to throw a collegiate pass, uh, it kind of makes you the, the, the guy there, especially with Ohio State coming up in week two. Uh, still interested to see how that backup position shakes out and obviously kind of some of the the – what spiders from that we all know how backup quarterback situations work in college football especially when you have three guys in the same class so we'll we'll see what happens there but first we're going to stop in in stop in in eugene with uh, an interview with uh rob mosley from goducks.com aiden aiden and rob have a good relationship dating back to aiden's playing days so he he stopped in with rob to talk about the last month of uh, fall camp for the ducks and, and just how things are shaping up for them going into uh, fresno state this friday uh, and then I have an interview with Oregon State coach Jonathan Smith. Uh, I check in with uh, Jonathan about you know what it was like for him coming on Oregon State as a walk-on back in 1998, um, how he's evolved as a coach, and just kind of what the work-life balance is for a coach in 2021. Uh, his his former uh, colleague Chris Peterson had a relatively notable article when he retired from Washington a few years ago, just talking about how it's such a grind. And I was curious to see how that resonated among uh, other coaches in the league and, and whether or not you can actually have a work-life balance uh, in college football in 2021. And it sounds like you can. So uh, fun interview with Jonathan Smith, great interview with Rob Mosley, and we're just going to jump right into it. So we'll begin here with uh, Aiden and Rob. You're listening to the I-5 Corridor, hosted by Tyson Alger and Aiden Schneider. Today on the I-5 Corridor, we're joined by Rob Mosley. He's the editor of GoDucks.com and your go-to guy when it comes to Oregon athletics. Rob, good to see you again, and thanks for joining the show. Yeah, man, it's great to talk to you. I'm really excited for you guys and for this venture. Thanks, appreciate it. Um, so how are things down in Eugene? How's the energy around the program uh, leading up to a season opener with fans back in Autzen. Yeah, I think, you know, as you know, this, this time of, of the summer is always exciting regardless, but yeah, having, having coming off such a weird year last year and obviously the circumstances in the stadium won't be, you know, perfectly back to quote unquote normal, um, with some protocol still in place. But I think there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of enthusiasm and energy for the fact that there's going to be, you know, tens of thousands of people back in the stadium. Um, you know, if I, if I could get in one bit of work business, we definitely want to encourage everyone to make sure if you're coming out to at least the first couple home games, make plans to get in the stadium early because with some of the protocols in place, it might be a little slower getting through the gates. Uh, and, and we have mobile ticketing 
that that's uh, new this year too. So uh, make 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 plans to give yourself a little extra time. But once once everybody's inside, yeah, I'm I'm sure it's going to be phenomenal. So it was it was so weird last year, like having the having the new scoreboard or the new video board, and like no one there to enjoy it except for like the people on the field and those of us in the press box. So getting able to being able to share that's going to be pretty awesome. Totally. I'm, I'm pumped for the opening kickoff. I'm, I'm going to be down there and, and couldn't be more excited. So you mentioned it was a little bit of a weird year last year. I wanted to start off by, by taking a bit of a look back at the 2020 season. There were a lot of ups, a lot of downs, but uh, the Ducks were able to finish the season by knocking off USC in the Pac-12 championship. Some people will say it's not a legitimate championship. To them, <laughs> I say, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Um, but I was wondering if you could just just talk a little bit about the struggles that Oregon had and, and what positives there are to build on heading into 2021. Yeah, it's you know it's it's been interesting to like view the 2020 season with the benefit of hindsight. Like as we've prepared for this year, you know, the guys in my office are getting like media guides and record books and things like that ready. And and so you're taking kind of a different look back in the year. It's just crazy. Like it feels like every single game could have gone either way. You know, it's like this, you know, at least maybe, and maybe even including the bowl game, you know, if just some different things had gone away. So it's like, you know, you know, every game just had a razor thin margin one way or the other. Um, And so, yeah, the good news is you came out on the good side of a couple of those. The bad news is, there's some frustration at some opportunities that, that you didn't take advantage of, but I mean, I, I just have such a hard time putting too much weight into anything that happened in 2020. Cause it was just so weird. Um, you know, and so that, uh, that almost makes it feel like there's like even more unknowns than normal going into, into this year. Cause you know, we're not coming off a, we're not coming off a season in which nothing happened, but we're coming off a season in which it's so hard to like make any draw any like significant conclusions from. Yeah, I definitely agree on that. And I think it's, it's really interesting with how weird everything was. I don't think anyone's putting too much weight into what happened, but I think there was a real opportunity to get some young guys on the field, especially with some of the talent that was out uh, due to the COVID opt outs. And there were some good things for sure, but I think one one moment that was kind of indicative of the season for me was when Oregon was playing at Cal, who was actually 0-3 at the time. There was a drive in the first half where they gave up three automatic first downs on penalties, which ended with a Cal touchdown um, after a pass interference on fourth and goal in the end zone. And, and that's a game that the Ducks go on to lose by four points think it goes without saying if you're wanting to make noise in the college football playoff conversation like the ducks are this year that's not the type of thing you can really have happening but i think it was a good opportunity for them to learn and and get some of that game experience in those close games and and i think often you can learn a lot from the close ones that don't go your way as well yeah i think that drive included a uh, and i looked i looked back on it i think at 12 men on the field penalty too so it's just like those are you know, those are the type of mistakes that if you want to, if you have big time aspirations, those are just the type of mistakes you can't have. And uh, it was just that kind of year where like nothing ever seemed to be quite on the same page. Like, you know, the offense that started out really strong the first few games and then struggled down the stretch and the defense was really struggling. 
you know, typified by that, that loss to Oregon state. And then starting with that Cal game, ironically enough, the defense, you know, looked pretty good the rest of the way. And, you know, special teams had breakdowns here and there, uh, you know, with a couple of notable ones late in the year with the, I think the kickoff return team. So it was just, it just never felt like everything was clicking all at the same time. You know, that just made it so frustrating. We were never on the same page, kind of offense and defense and special teams all playing at the same time, playing well at the same time. Yeah, I think, I think that'll be, that'll be a key, obviously, when, when the margins are as thin as they are with all the talent at the top of college football, if you want to be a playoff team, it's, it's really got to be all three working together. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, one of the most exciting parts of this time of year is to be able to see which young guys are able to step in and contribute right away. Sometimes there are a lot. I think I believe it was nine true freshmen played my freshman year, which is a, a pretty hefty number, and, and sometimes it's less. But a couple examples that I think of when I think of high-impact guys right off the bat from when I played are Troy Dye and Royce Freeman. Both those guys showed up turned heads at camp. They made huge contributions right away and and kind of never looked back. And those are obviously some big shoes to fill comparison wise, since those are two of the most productive guys the school's ever seen. But are there any young guys who've impressed you uh, in camp so far this year? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, anybody who follows recruiting, you know, even marginally closely knows the level this program's been recruiting at the last few years. And you know, I've joked with people before that, you know, they're maybe prior to like Haloti Nada, when Haloti Nada showed up in, you know, around 2000, 2001, uh, prior to that, if Oregon would get a five-star guy, you'd be like, hmm, you know, is there some sort of injury concern that, you know, scared off other teams or, you know, something from his background that maybe was a red flag, but, you know, and guys would still work out, but, you know, if we got a five-star guy, you know, there was usually some, you know, some sort of really different kind of circumstance. And now it's just like getting five-star guys is just what Mario Cristobal and his staff do. And you see what piling up five-star guys looks like. And you see that, you know, when, when this program gets five-star guys now, they're dudes. And so like a guy like Noah Sewell shows up last year, ready to be an impact guy. Kayvon Thibodeau shows up two years ago, ready to be an impact guy. You know, I think Dante Manning and Justin Flo, you know, certainly have the talent to be those guys. They just were held back last year by injuries. So, you know, those are young guys who haven't played a ton who are ready to show out now. Um, and, you know, on the other side of the ball, you know, a guy like Ty Thompson shows up and immediately inserts himself into the quarterback competition. Um, so it, it's it's really cool to see you know, it, it, it's one thing to just get good recruiting rankings, um, you know, for all that's worth, but it's another thing to like see the guys show up to campus and like validate, you know, the hype behind their names. So it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, guys just show up and they're different, you know, they just show up with a different, you know, level of athleticism, you know, different size and speed, you know, in some cases, a different mindset, you know, in just terms of being ready to go and feeling like they can compete with whoever, whenever. So, um, it's, it, it, that is pretty fun. Yeah. It's been really fun to watch. I mean, the recruiting has been absolutely off the charts. So that kind of leads me into my next question, which is they're stacking up talent on both sides of the ball. And as we head into the 
season opening matchup with Fresno State at Autzen. Where do you see the biggest strength of this team? And what do you see as the biggest question mark heading into that game? Well, the, the talent at some of the offensive skill positions right now is just bonkers. Um, you know, when you've got CJ Verdell and Travis die, and then, you know, you have Trey Benson coming back off an injury and then seven McGee and uh, Byron Cardwell, who look like they could be plug and play guys if they had to be, but they don't have to be. I mean, the depth at running back is, is crazy. And then at receiver, you know, Trey Franklin and Dante Thornton come in in the spring and it just, you know, with their length, just look, you know, they just cut a different profile and Troy Franklin in particular looks every bit like a guy who can, who can help out from day one. And, and Thornton, you know, I it wasn't, maybe wasn't quite that coming out of spring, but the progress he's made over the course of this preseason has been outstanding. And then Brevard, Isaiah Brevard, another freshman shows up. And so you have those guys, but then you already have Johnny Johnson and Micah Pittman and, and Jalen Red. And Devin Williams has, you know, so much potential. It's, you know, and, and, and tight end even. You know, now that DJ Johnson's in camp, you know, the last, you know, couple of weeks with Spencer Webb, but these freshmen, you know, Ferguson and Motovau are just, you know, just a different ceiling. Um, you know, and, and to even hear guys like Spencer Webb talking about the two freshman tight ends or, or Johnny Johnson talking about their freshman receivers and just how advanced they are, even compared to how those guys were. Um, who came in with plenty, plenty of promise themselves, you know, when they were freshmen. So the, the, you know, the depth of those skill positions is just, it's just off the charts right now, you know, and then if you want, you know, if there's a group that has to prove itself, I would say, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily have thought it was the secondary, you know, based on some of the experience some younger guys got last year due to the opt-outs. But then when you have those suspensions right before the start of camp and you, and, you know, you plug some guys, some different guys in there than you thought maybe, you know, you were going to be relying on, you know, one of the, one of the best camp battles all preseason has been Dante Manning and Triquez Bridges at one of the corner spots. And it's awesome to see those guys compete and they're duking it out. But what that means is one of the corner spots is being, you know, the competition there's between two guys who just haven't played very much at all at the college level and whoever went, you know, whichever one comes out on top is presumably going to be a starter. Um, you know, I think it nickels a slightly different situation because Bennett Williams, you know, it's a guy who has a bunch of experience um, and looks like a, a, a very uh, solid guy that you can plug in there. Uh, and, then, and then I think when you lose Jordan Scott and Austin Fowley from the interior of the defensive line, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of optimism that Popo Amavai and Brandon Dorless and Christian Williams and Keon Ware Hudson you know, are going to be ready to step into those roles without skipping a beat. But until they do so, you know, you look at the, how much experience you lost with Jordan and Austin and say, yeah, hopefully we find out very quickly that those guys could be replaced by, by the dudes coming back. But you're kind of, you know, you're kind of in wait and see mode until that happens and validates, you know, the, the optimism that there is in, in the development of those guys. Yeah, with all that talent, it's it's going to make for some some tough decisions on the depth chart, but definitely a good problem to have. No doubt so about it. We've, we've talked about offense. We've talked about defense. I saved the best for last. I want to talk a little <laughs> bit about the specialist group. 
little bit about Henry Cattleman, who who's quite an interesting story to me, very similar to myself in a lot of ways. So sure. uh, what have you seen out of the the specialist group in camp so far? Yeah, I think, you know, that's another another group, you know, that returns a ton of guys, you know, and Tom Snee, um, just it, it's it's just so weird to think of like punting as like a, a, a source of value, because if you're punting, you're you know, if you're a fan and you're or punting, you're frustrated and you're ticked off and, you know, you're probably still ticked off no matter what happens, no matter the quality of the punt. But, you know, to watch him work in camp and just, you know, how much he's progressed over the last couple of years and, you know, whether he's backed up into his own end zone or there's a, you know, a, you know, a four minute, two minute situation, you know, he's got to be a weapon in a situation like that. You know, Tom Snee is that guy, you know, and uh, it's, he's such a great guy too, um, you know, from Australia and, um, really personable. So an easy guy to root for that way too. Um, you know, Carson battles is a long snapper is a guy who's played a ton now and is so reliable, you know, another guy, you kind of, the only time you, you think about him is if something's gone wrong and kind of the, the, the strange compliment to pay him is you'd ever think about him because, you know, things tend not to go wrong when he's on the field. And then Cattleman, you know, has, a, a, has been fun to watch too. You know, I, Cameron Lewis is a kid I really like and enjoy, um, you know, and he, he's got a game winner under his belt, uh, you know, a field goal at the buzzer to win a game a couple of years ago, and that can never be taken away from him. And, and, you know, he's a guy who looks like, you know, as the, as a kickoff guy um, can still be a help there, but no doubt cattleman, you know, cut a, cut a different figure uh, last year with the, the mustache and you know he just he he, he does have a certain swagger um you know he, he kind of seems the you know the, the confidence he brings it's it's almost like he has this air of detachment to him that like he he's kind of above any moment because he's above any pressure because he's just um he he's on a different wavelength than than the rest of us so uh he's a he's a fun guy to be around too because he's he's uh he, he sometimes seems like he's in his own, in his own universe. Hmm. Mustache. I wonder where he got that idea. <laughs> hey, when, when you left, when you leave a place, you want to feel like you left a legacy and that, you know, there, you left a legacy that kind of lives on. And so I think you can feel like you left a certain imprint that uh, others, others seek to follow. All right. I'll allow it. Well, that's really exciting to hear. Uh, Obviously, this is my favorite topic, talk about the specialists, but it's a real asset to be returning specialists. Um, You know, you've you've been in college for a couple years. Now you're really starting to fine tune your game. You know, maybe a guy comes in with a lot of raw talent. You're getting those game situations in like you were talking about with Tom Snee, you're working on your directional punts, you're working on your pooch punts, all that good stuff. Um, so I think that's going to be a huge asset for Oregon coming up this season. Yeah, I, and I think Mario Cristobal feels like he's, you know, with the experience of those guys and then some of the weapons at other positions, Mikel Wright, you know what he can be as a, as a kick returner. Um, I think there's a lot of excitement about seven McGee as a guy who maybe could factor in as a punt returner competing with guys like Johnny Johnson, Micah Pittman and some others for that job. I think there's a real sense that special teams can be a weapon, an asset for this team, um, you know, in a way that goes beyond 
um, the level that it has been. So the last, the last couple of years, I mean, there's, there's certainly been moments and again, where you look at Camden's kick uh, to beat Washington state a couple of years ago. Um, and you say, Hey, yeah, special teams made a difference that game, but there, you know, there's other, other moments you point to and say, ah, you know, things weren't executed as well in that situation. Um, and I think there's some cautious optimism that with the pieces in place and the coaching they've been getting that, that you know, special teams could consistently be uh, an area where Oregon has an edge in, in games in 2021. Absolutely. And I think to our, our earlier part of the conversation, when we talked about recruiting, you know, rising tide raises all ships and, and that includes special teams. The more talent you have in the program, uh, the more talented the starters become. That just means you have guys that are that much better in a backup role who are maybe going to be thrown into special teams, maybe be on kickoff return, kickoff, punt and punt return. And and having guys who are doing that over a period of a couple of years with a lot of talent can really make a huge difference. No doubt. It, you know, I think some fans look at special teams and you know, you'll see like a starting defensive player on like a coverage team. And it's like, well, why is he being used in that position? It's like, well, because you need a good guy covering kicks and punts and that guy's really good. And the drop off between him and the next guy would be significant enough that it feels like too much of a risk. Well, the depth this program has accumulated is such that, you know, some of the guys who look like they're going to play huge roles on for this team on special teams, like a Brian Addison, like a Drew Mathis, like an Adrian Jackson, you know, th- those guys all, you know, w- you know, in terms of how they factor on defense, you know, may or may not be, you know, day one, game one starters, you know, you know, a Drew Mathis might be an Adrian Jackson could be in certain situations, you know, a- Addison looks like he's probably a two at safety, but they're, they're so athletic and, you know, they're so such a good fit for those special teams roles that there isn't a drop off. You don't feel like you have to play, you know, cave on Thibodeau and Noah Sewell on all, you know, on all four special teams in order to feel like you have capable groups out there. You know, you can mine your depth and take advantage of your depth in that way too, to, um, to kind of spread out the, the reps that way. So yeah, there's just, there's just a ton of benefits to, having a whole lot of good dudes, which is, uh, goes without saying. Yeah. I'm, I'm pumped for the season. I'm excited to see how things play out. I'm, I'm sure everyone around there is ready for camp to be over and just to get to the season opener. But, uh, I think that's a good place to end it. So, uh, thanks for coming on the show, Rob. We appreciate your time. Absolutely. I can't wait to follow your guys' work. This is, uh, I'm excited for you guys and, uh, see where this goes. And, uh, lastly, real quick, do you want to tell people where they can find your work online? Sure. Uh, GoDocs.com is our website. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I'm, I'm Duck Football for football coverage and GoDucks mostly for uh, covering all the other sports here. We do have soccer underway already and volleyball uh, is getting underway right about now too. So it's, uh, it's an exciting time. It's nice to not have it all stacked up in the spring like it was last year and back uh, being spread out a little bit more back on a more normal uh, schedule. So uh, looking forward to all of it. But yeah, I, September 4th uh, against Fresno State can't get here quick enough. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. And now, Oregon State's Jonathan Smith. Just just jump right into it. I uh, I was reading about walk-ons a little bit and um, I, just do, doing some, some pre, pre-stuff for this. And it was 
you, you guys had awarded a couple walk-ons towards the end of spring and I was I always love walk-on stories and I know that you were a walk-on too and I don't really know like I wasn't around here for, for your walk-on story can, can you kind of take me into a little bit of just the background of, of how you initially ended up at Oregon State and then kind of that like when did you become a non-walk-on <laughs> Right. Um, so when I was in high school, Oregon State was recruiting uh, one of my teammates in high school, a lineman. Uh, Dustin Jans was his name. And uh, through looking at his tape, they kind of saw me play. Right. They're watching the old lineman all the time while they're seeing the quarterback and um, engaged uh, some conversation with me. And then eventually invited me to take a recruiting visit in January uh, my, my senior year and more or less invited me to walk on. Uh, and at the time, you know, I had some smaller school opportunities as in like Big Sky, uh, UC Davis type stuff. But at the end of the day, I felt like, you know what, I want to get into coaching. If I go to the highest level I could, probably going to learn the most. At the same time, if I walk on and it's not working out, I could always drop back down to one of those schools. Um, and so Mike Riley's coach at the time came up in January for a recruiting visit, took a little time to think about it and, you know, uh, took a shot at it. Uh, one thing I always say to our walk-ons is that Mike Riley at that time, you know, just promised me that you're, you're going to be treated the same. Uh, you're going to get every opportunity to uh, compete. Uh, and that's what we, that he lived up to his promise, gave me opportunity, treated the same. You know, you can tell in the locker room where the walk-ons were at and things, and we operate the same way. Um, and so uh, I want to follow through with the, the, and that's the same way we do when we're recruiting walk-ons here. Well, so, well, so that, that was going to be my follow-up question. It was just like, how, how did that kind of shape your view as, as a coach and, and somebody that who obviously knows the value of, of what some, somebody like that can bring? Yeah, I mean, it, that my personal experience, but also, you know, each stop uh, where I've coached at, you, you're, you're playing with a guy or two and sometimes more with walk-ons or at least started as walk-ons. And so there's some real value uh, in those guys. Uh, and it's not always just about how many catches they have or tackles they make uh, from your culture, your work ethic, um, how they are around the, the locker room. You know, you guys need to add value whether they're on scholarship or not. Um, but you can improve your roster, your team, your culture with quality walk-ons. You, you, you played for Mike Riley. You played for Dennis Erickson. You've, you've coached with Chris Peterson. When, when you're going kind of through these coaches that you've either played or worked for, like – what, what are kind of some of the, the, the differences in, in styles or, or like essentially like what have you kind of gleaned from from these guys as you've kind of gone about kind of building like the coach that that you wanted to be? Right. You know, uh, taking a little bit of each of them. Um, obviously, Peterson was the most recent I was working under before this job. And so quite a bit from him uh, in regards to communication schedule. Uh, a deeper philosophical approach to, to what we do. Um, but at the same time, you know, I look at the schematically, but I opened my eyes to offensive football playing under Riley and then Erickson and Erickson's competitiveness. And, and so, and not just those two head coaches, it's like in some of those assistants I had, my first quarterback coach um, here at Oregon State is Paul Chris, the head coach of Wisconsin right now. And, you know, I learned a bunch from him on, uh, how to attack defenses, how you teach a quarterback, uh, fundamentals of of playing the game, and 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 through through the time of was an assistant, I worked with a bunch of big time assistants that I learned stuff from too. Um, so yeah, I think you're always learning, you're always growing. I've learned from some of these guys on our current staff, um, and you're always just trying to find better ways to do it and and what works and and all of that. 
I, I, I realize that this is probably a, a just a weird timing question because it's, it's the run up to the season. But I'm just thinking about Chris and, and when, when he left Washington and he had that. I think it was an article with Bruce Feldman in, in The Athletic where he just kind of talked about like the grind that college football has become and, and just like, um, you know, almost like that sleep under your desk like mentality of, of being in the – it's just become a 24-7 sport across the whole – I'm just curious, like how much did that resonate – amongst like coaches like in in the league like like and is that something that you relate to i'm just curious like how, how that kind of went over yeah um i i didn't talk to a bunch of coaches uh about it without throughout this league uh obviously i know coach pete really well uh, and just kind of digesting not just the article but conversations leading up to that decision um there he talks about balance in life and i i do think you're best at work when you got some balance, when you feel like back at home, um, you're being the type of father, husband you, you want to be. Um, and, and so you, you, you work to have that. Look, we're all competitive. This is a competitive business. It take, we have awkward hours. Um, but at the same time, I feel like I'm the most productive during the office time. And when I'm working is when I feel like um, I've got some balance and engaged actively in, in the lives of my, my family. At, at this time of year, how are you able to like compartmentalize each thing that you need to focus on from like focusing on the season to still recruiting to, I mean, you guys have to be up to date on like what's going on with like the Alliance and, you know, the, the changing landscapes of, of college football to, to be able to recruit, like just how, how do you kind of stay up on all that while ma- maintaining that, that balance? Yeah. Yeah. Just try to stay organized. Um, at this, you know, you want to be aware of changing landscapes in, in college football, but ultimately, like, what can you control currently? Uh, being aware of it, uh, educated on it so you can speak to it, whether it's with recruiting or your own staff or your own team. Um, but there is, there's always something going on. There's always things to address or get prepared for, whether you're talking about the practice the next day, the meeting the next day, the first opponent, the recruits you're chasing, the recruits you got committed. Um, and trying to stay organized so you can be active in, in quite a bit of stuff each day. The, the the last time I talked to you, I think it was like a day or two before Sam Neuer announced that he was coming to your guys' program. And um, obviously a tremendous pickup for you guys, just not only for depth, but experience and the local angle. To Actually, say, I, I covered Sam Neuer's first high school start at Beaverton High School, I think, in mm-hmm. 13, 14, and... Uh, he, he he could zing it back then, and, and obviously you kind of see the progression. But what what has he added to your guys's team, and and just how has that kind of shaped what was already going to be a pretty competitive quarterbacks room for you guys? Yeah, he's added uh, quite a bit. I mean, physical skill set. He he definitely has good arm. He can move around. He's a strong physical guy. Uh, I think he's dove into our culture and around our guys, and is as become well-respected really because of his work ethic and his uh, attention to detail, wanting to improve. I mean, let's face it, he had to learn a brand new offense. Um, And that's not always easy. Terminology, recognizing uh, personnel groups, motions. uh, He played a lot uh, because he's got some experience, but anytime you're calling something different, he might've been running the same type of play, but we call it different. So that takes, there's some learning curve there. He's done a good job with it. Um, and he walked into a room and he knew that when he was coming here, there was going to be competitive. We got some experience. We've got a couple of guys that have played and throw touchdowns in this league and won some games. So, um, he's added a bunch, he's fit in, fit in great. And he's going to help us this year, uh, in a big way. Can you, can you take that next step of, of, 
you know, reaching the postseason with a mentality of we're just looking to reach a bowl game? Or is it because you guys showed have made these progresses over the last couple of years and beating like like that Oregon win last year? Like I would imagine that you have to like aim higher than that to, you know, you guys have shown you can do that. Like, why not aim, aim higher? Is that kind of the mentality that you guys take into, into the. Yeah. I think that in general, all the time, like, why are you going to put a, put a, like, oh, we're trying to shoot at a number of wins or something. It's like, if you truly believe each Saturday, if you line up and play well, you can win the game, then why are we sitting on a, a lower number than 12? And so each week we're going to approach it. Like we got to prepare. And if we play well, we got a great chance to win the game, understanding that it's not easy to win. I mean, plays out last year, how close that these games are, the couple that we won and a couple that we lost were within three, five points. Um, and so I, I just, I've never been into the mentality that you're always just shooting for this mark or, yeah, I think the bowl game piece is the first goal you're trying to achieve. Um, but ultimately you're, you're trying to win each Saturday and then preparing in that mindset. I think where we're at as a program, I think these guys truly believe that everybody on our schedule, if we can play well, uh, we got a great chance to win that game on Saturday. And I couldn't probably say that a couple years ago. Was, uh, was there anything fun about last year or was it just the, the grind that it. Right. I, I, I look, I, I feel fortunate that we were able to play and we did play. Um, and it depends on what you want to focus on. There were some serious hurdles. Um, there's some, it was totally different, right? No fans, even the way you traveled, the way you prepped, um, it was different, but we did get the opportunity to play. Um, I do feel like it benefited us that we got to play all our games that were on the schedule. So the preparation that went into that. And again, I feel like we've got a coaching staff that does a great job developing. So the more time, the more practice, uh, I think that that helped us. Um, but I'm definitely looking forward back to getting back to some of the energy that comes with the fans in the stadium playing more than, you know, playing 12 plus games. Uh, some of that normalcy close to uh, will be, will be fun. I, that I think it was one of the coolest experiences I've had um, since I've been writing about sports in Oregon was when you guys did beat Oregon last year. There's no fans in the stands, but we're writing our stories up in the press box and you can just hear car horns like just yeah. blaring all around town. Like it, it just felt very college town. Something big just happened and like news is ringing out like that. That was there weren't very many things that I pointed to last year of like, I enjoyed that experience of, of what college football turned into, but like that, that was a really kind of just neat, neat thing to, to see and, and be a part of. Yeah. I, yep. I remember that night too. Uh, and then the locker room was awesome after the game. Um, but then I do, the kids were aware that, you know, got people driving by blaring horns and uh, appreciated the the fan base doing what they could to recognize a big win. How, how, uh, I mean, obviously, one one game against one opponent is, isn't something that, um, you know, you guys have bigger goals than that. But just like like how rewarding is that situation when you beat your rival and it's it's that just. Yeah, it's definitely I mean, it's a big game. I'm not going to you know, it's it is in this state. Uh, and let's face it, just where those guys have won some games and done a good job. And so you beat a quality opponent. That's a that's a big deal. Obviously, it's just one win. And then we had opportunities after that game to do something really really good and came up short in a couple of games right after that. So it takes, uh, it takes more than just one big win to make a season. What's, what's something about your life in Corvallis that growing up in Pasadena, you'd go like, okay, that's different. 
Yeah. Um, well, I think just the, the, the town of Corvallis allows for my kids to, to get around about quite a bit easier. Um, you know, I've, I've enjoyed, like my son's played baseball this spring, summertime, and then traveling around to smaller towns close to Corvallis, but outside that's different than, you know, playing Little League in a big city uh, with the, not only my, my son's buddies gets got on the team, but the families of, of those guys and, and hanging out with them. And I've really, you know, appreciated that about, that's one thing about being in a college town. Yeah, absolutely. What uh, what would Jonathan Smith's career look like if you ended up just going like the teaching route? Let's say that again. What would it look like? I I, I read that uh, I I read that you'd be that you once said that you'd probably be like a history teacher if if you yeah. were coaching. Football. I thought that kind of initially was going to be a high school coach and teach teach history because I did uh, enjoy U.S. history in particular. Um, and I, I think it's kind of similar. What we do as coaches is we are teachers. Um, and obviously you're teaching a scheme or uh, developing an offense, defense and things, but you're always just you know, teaching, coaching about life. And so I, I appreciate that part of my job. And so if I was doing it at a, you know, teaching at a high school, or something, I think it'd be kind of similar talking about life, teaching about history and, and trying to be actively engaged in their lives. What, uh, in any specific part of history that you just kind of nerd out on? You know, uh, I think during college, it was a little bit more around the Civil War. Right. Uh, and I don't know if I get nerded out. I still didn't get <laughs> But I've always just kind of been uh, interested in it, um, even through the Civil Rights Movement, Malcolm X, and, you know, now I've gotten into that. So, anyhow, uh, that's been, been the topic I feel like I did enjoy teaching. What, uh, you know, you, this is your, your fifth year in Corvallis, fifth, fourth? Heading into season four. Yeah. He heading into season four. So you guys have kind of been around the, like the, the ramp up a, a few times now. Like what's, what's your favorite part about just the transition from fall camp to game week and, and getting things going? Yeah, it's that, you know, it's that excited um, anxiousness to find out kind of what, what this team is. You know, you prepare you go in, you work really hard, you try to cover, you know, cover every situation that could come. Um, but you don't really know until you start playing some games. And so it's that exciting, anxious to get started, to see where we're at. Um, and, uh, and that feels that it's always an exciting time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, certainly, certainly looking forward to seeing how you guys do this year. And, uh, um, really just appreciate you taking the time and, and coming on the podcast. Robert. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Good luck with everything. <laughs> You're listening to the I-5 Corridor, hosted by Tyson Alger and Aiden Schneider.